Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs. Today we're going to review what happened in the election here in Missouri and how that's going to affect things moving forward over the coming weeks and months. So let's get started. Today we're joined by Spencer Tima, our Director of National Legislative Programs, and B.J. Tanksley, our Director of State Legislative Programs. And this is the first time we've gotten everybody in the same room together to try to uh, discuss what's going on in Missouri agriculture. I think uh, we had a lot of developments over the past couple of weeks with the election and have a lot of things that we need to hash out and see what's going to happen in the next legislative sessions. So Spencer and B.J., welcome to the show. Appreciate you guys being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. You usually uh, try to keep us separate to avoid the romper room that this may turn into. But yeah, yeah thanks for having this us. This is going to be so fun. It's an experiment. We'll yeah. see how this goes. Well, we're going to start out by going over some of the election results um, from the uh, the November 6th election and start at the top of the ballot with the federal races um, that Spencer spent a lot of time on, especially. Uh, the, the biggest headliner, of course, was the changeover in the Senate seat. So we had... Um, the uh, sitting attorney general, Josh mm-hmm. Hawley, defeat the uh, incumbent two-term senator, Claire McCaskill, by just over six points. So Yay. it was a big victory, and we worked very hard on that uh, race. So, Spencer, how do you think that's actually going to be affecting us over the coming, well, not even just months, really the next six years? Yeah, so I think we have a great opportunity with Senator-elect Hawley coming into his role as our new junior senator in the U.S. Senate. Um, It's really no secret, and we've talked about it uh, several times over the past few months, that our relationship with Senator McCaskill was strained, to say the least. (laughs) I think that's a fair, yeah, diplomatic way of playing it. And, you know, I do think we've already started cultivating a good relationship with Senator-elect Hawley and his team. Uh, I'm really looking forward to having him in the Senate, you know. Uh, One of my uh, favorite things I like to say is that it's very refreshing to have a senator who answers when we call, and I know uh, President Mm -hmm. Hurst feels that way as well, but uh, we really did hit the campaign trail hard for Mr. Hawley throughout the election cycle, and, and really, rural Missouri is what made the difference in his election. Yeah, and, you know, the biggest questions, it seems like to me, are where he's going to put his his energy and focus mm-hmm. in, in the Senate. And I know he's out in D.C. this week and uh, doing going through the orientation. There were some pictures and videos of him mm-hmm. with Leader McConnell and yeah. the, the new freshman class yesterday, uh, a couple days ago, I think, um, talking about, uh, he, he's been talking about the committee assignments that he's trying to get on mm-hmm. and um, it sounds like the the number one target he's got is judiciary. Yes. Um, a lot of people have been asking us, is he going to be on the Ag Committee? Any word you've heard on that? I haven't really heard anything at all. You know, as you know, those committee assignments won't be made until a little bit into the future. So they elected Senate leadership yesterday, but actually what happens is the Republicans and the Democrats have to put together a slate of people to serve on the various committees in the U.S. Senate. It used to be, this is actually something I learned throughout this process, they had to approve everybody individually to serve on those committees. They've since changed that and so the last several times they've just proposed the slate, but that won't happen for a little while. Yeah. So we're still waiting. So and there's, I think every senator is on three or four committees mm-hmm. um, in general. So there's definitely a chance that he could be on a number of different things that could be very uh, important to Missouri. I, I know, obviously, his heart is with judiciary stuff, sure. with being a constitutional attorney and 
having worked at the Supreme Court, uh, that obviously would be a great place to have him because mm-hmm. he could provide a lot to the committee. Um, but I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see how it all shakes out. With the, the other new members have places they want to be too, so we'll see where that, they all end up. Right, and they had a pretty large freshman class as far as Republican new senators. I think mm-hmm. there were six of them, um, and we're still waiting on a couple of races to be officially called. I know there's been a lot of controversy down in Florida and, and Arizona, actually. They had a change uh, very Uh, I think maybe surprising Mm -hmm. to some people. So um, we're still actually waiting on the last few seats to be confirmed, and then we'll really know, you know, the Republicans are going to maintain a majority in the Senate. Mm -hmm. The question right now is by how much, Uh, but we were very thankful to see Senator Blunt, actually, who's now going to be the senior senator from Missouri, was elected as Republican policy chairman. So that's a good move for him, and that's moving him up in Republican leadership. I think he's the fourth from the top as far as Republican leadership goes. So it's yes. a great place for him to be. Certainly going to be helpful to us as well uh, in Missouri to one have of the, him involved there. One of the things that I think will be interesting to see is having having a senator from two separate parties. Mm-hmm. To some extent, there was a benefit to that of whoever was in the White House or, or mm-hmm. whoever was in charge of the Senate. You always had one mm-hmm. of somebody that was that was a part of the conversation. Um, and so I think it'll be interesting to see going forward how the politics of that work with having two mm-hmm. senators of the same party. Yeah. Um, so, and obviously we were supportive of Senator Hawley. We, mm-hmm. we appreciate his positions and, and, you know, we had seen some of the relationships with, with Senator McCaskill. But um, I do think going forward, the, po- the politics of it will be interesting, especially having a divided House and Senate yeah. um, in Washington. It's going to be an interesting interesting new world and Missouri's in a new position mm-hmm. where we're having um, both senators being of the same party where that's not unique nationwide but it's it's new to us yeah right? and it's been what 12 years I guess yeah. since we've had two Republican senators or two senators of the same party at all um, so basically uh, 99% of the people who, who worked in that environment um, have cycled out as uh-huh. far as the staff and yeah. so it's brand new to everybody and they're gonna have to learn how to work together yeah. and hopefully be able to get along well you know that's always appear from just talking to friends in other states where they have senators from the same party sometimes they can be bitter rivals with one another <laughs> i don't anticipate that happening with senator holly and senator blunt but it's always a fear yeah. that it can if it doesn't start off on the right foot it can it can turn out to be an acrimonious relationship yeah and i'll even say that i, I heard um, senator blunt on the radio this morning on another radio show and he, he even was saying you know we're probably not going to agree on everything I'm and sure. they probably won't and that's where those kind of things come in and it's just interesting. You assume that they won't always agree if they're from differing parties. Right. But if they are from the same party, sometimes they don't agree either. So yeah. it'll be interesting. And BJ brought up a really good point about the dynamics of the Republican Senate versus the now Democrat-controlled House. So a lot of analysts really um, had it in their minds. And I think it was not really a surprise to anybody. But the House did change hands. And um, we think that majority is going to be 229 for the Democrats and about 206 for the Republicans. Um, all of the Missouri uh House of Representatives uh, congressional seats stayed the same. So we still have um, two Democrats and then six Republicans in office. But the power, the control of power has changed. So we did. We previously had Speaker Paul Ryan. Now we're looking at potentially a Speaker Nancy Pelosi, although mm-hmm. that's not really set into stone. Right. And that really changes the dynamics of how things work in Congress. You know, for the past two years, we've had a Republican-controlled House and Senate, and we still struggle to get things done. So it'll be interesting to see how those two chambers either work together or work against each other. Well, and and that's something that I think a lot of people um, forget about is it's a lot. A lot of people will tell you it's a lot easier to be in the minority than the majority, because right. all you have to do is throw bombs and just <laughs> you know complain about whatever the majority is doing. 
But once you're in charge, it's your job. You got to figure out uh-huh. how to make it happen. And um, people are, you know, taking pot shots at you about everything you do now. It'll be really interesting to see how the Democrats come together uh, when they take the majority. Because number one, they, like you say, they if they have a 229 um, seat majority, that the 218 is a break-even point. So that's 11 over. Mm-hmm. That's not many people to no, lose. If you have not. 11 out of 229, that's what like five percent of your caucus, mm-hmm. and there's probably a good 11 to 15 uh, that, of, of the new members that came in who are strong in that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez model, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Democratic Socialist-leaning um, group, where they are not having any of the traditional Democrat yes. politics. And that could pose some serious headaches for the for their caucus moving forward. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the priorities will be coming into the new year. You know, how does, you know, from my perspective, how does this impact the 2018 farm bill? Do mm-hmm. we try to get a farm bill done before the end of the year with ranking member Colin Peterson, who's set up to be chairman of the Ag Committee now? You know, does he want to move a farm bill under Democratic control in the House? I think that's a really fair question. You know, Congressman Peterson is somebody who's generally pretty middle of the road. He votes with President Trump just as much as I think he voted with President Obama pretty close. Um, so he's he's pretty down the middle. And I think we have seen both parties move further to the left and to the right. So that that makes that dynamic so much more mm-hmm. uh, critical and, and with trade as well. I mean, we've had a lot of critical comments from both parties on the president on trade and next year we're hopefully going to be approving the USMCA the new NAFTA deal mm-hmm. so how does the how do these dynamics impact the approval of that trade agreement yeah and then I saw a story I think this morning about how the Democratic caucus is not going to be very friendly to that agreement mm-hmm. um, or will definitely raise some some uh, flags about it so it may not be a smooth sailing to get that through so we definitely have um, some interesting you know challenges ahead of us mm-hmm. with that and and yeah it sounds like all of the important players really want to get the farm bill done before mm-hmm. during the lame duck session but it seems like there's some real butting of heads going on right now i think that's an understatement <laughs> i think yeah. i think one thing both parties have to look out for and this is kind of coming back to the election is president trump uh-huh. I mean, he played a large role in who won and who lost a lot of races, and so it'll be interesting to see if if the if the new majority in the House chooses to make this a a two years against Trump and and you know mm-hmm. constantly throwing bombs at him, or if they choose to try to work together. Um, if you're looking towards the next election cycle, which unfortunately, uh, you know, the countdowns are already it started on. last yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. um, and so, you know, although we're not thinking that way, it will be interesting to see kind of the strategies of that. And what are those new senators who came in who probably feel like they they probably owe a little bit to Trump for the margins, at least that they mm-hmm. won by um, because he spent a lot of time on the campaign trail. So it'll be interesting from my perspective to see. Um, how that plays in the dynamics. Uh, is this just the world versus Trump from the House's perspective? Um, and how do they ever choose to work together um, whereas you're seeing that divisive line? Um, because unfortunately there, there are some major divides there though. Um, my opinion would be that it doesn't play well into the Democrats' hands if they choose to make this about Trump because I think this election showed in the areas that he is still strong, he is still very strong and yeah. able to turn a lot mm-hmm. of votes out. I mean, we saw a huge turnout. You know, just going back to the election results, turnout was huge. It was huge on both directions. Right. right. Um, everybody came out and voted in large scale like we don't normally see in midterm elections. I mean, these were presidential term elections kind of turnout. Mm-hmm. So it'll be uh, it'll be something to watch to see how what kind of priorities they put on um, 
as we look towards national politics. Yeah. yeah. Overall, though, I think we were really pleased with how things turned out on the federal level on election night. You know, all of Missouri Farm Bureau's endorsed candidates did come away with a victory. So we're very pleased to see that. And, and whatever capacity and whatever turns we might take in the next couple of years, uh, we're still very optimistic and we're looking forward to working with every single member of the delegation. Very good. Well, yeah, much less turmoil in the delegation there than a lot of other states face. Oh, so absolutely. That's, uh, that's kind of nice, especially since all those were people we supported. Um, turning our attention to the state level, we endorsed 12 people at, in state Senate races, and uh, BJ, all 12 of those were successful, so you had a pretty good record on the, the individual candidates there, too. Yeah, on the candidate perspective, we did have a great uh, great election night on the, in, the, in the Missouri. Um, we saw all of our state Senate-endorsed candidates win re-election. A lot of them won handily. I mean, that wasn't a surprise. We did see some close races up in the St. Joe race, uh, Springfield area. We did see some close. Some of the races that were expected to be close, uh, quite frankly, weren't all that close. Mm-hmm. You know, the outskirts of St. Louis area, um, those areas really really weren't all that close in the end. Like I said, turnout was high in both directions. Um, Looking forward to, um, the interesting thing when I look at it is everybody expected large Republican majorities in both Missouri House and the Missouri Senate to to lose some. I mean, you you had large turnouts and you had big wins. but we didn't see that. We see the exact same breakdown in both the House and the Senate headed into 2019, which is just really kind of political science yeah. of me. It's interesting to see how did that work out. Um, where In what you would expect to have seen, a couple of losses you just didn't. You're going to see a 24-10 majority um, in the Missouri Senate, which is pretty overwhelming. Once mm-hmm. again, um, we, we've the state of Missouri sent a lot of Republicans back to the state House. Uh, and on the House side, um, still large Republican majorities there, too. It was interesting. Um, some seats went to the Democrats and some seats went back to Republicans. So the Republicans made up for each one they lost and they kind of traded a few back and forth and ended up with the exact same majorities. We also had, um, I believe it was 41 Friends of Agriculture reelected, which was each one of our Friends of Agriculture who weren't term limited or not running for reelection. So it's good to see we'll have a lot of friends back in the House as well. So, um, And the Friend of Agriculture Award is what we give in the House. Um, because we don't endorse in-house races. Yes, we so. don't endorse in-house races, and kind of in lieu thereof, we recognize those members who have a working relationship with both of our both a working relationship with our local members and vote uh, with Missouri Farm Bureau priorities yeah. in the capital over that two-year period. So it's kind of a high bar we set for them because we ask them to be uh, to work with our local members and to work with us in the capital. But um, we do we did see a lot of support for those members out there as well. So um, not a lot of changes in the Missouri capital. Um, we do see new new Senate new leadership was elected in both the House and the Senate. Um, So the incoming president pro tem will be Senator Dave Schatz out of uh, Franklin County. Um, So they'll be looking forward to working with him. We worked closely with him on transportation issues last year. Um, He's a a strong advocate for property rights um, and and have been a strong leader in the Capitol. Majority floor leader will be Caleb Browden out of Columbia, Missouri. So I look forward to working with him as well. He's had a a successful career in the Capitol and look forward to seeing him move up in leadership. On the House side, our new speaker will be um, Representative Elijah Haar um, out of the Springfield area um, and Speaker Pro Tim, John Weeman and Re- uh, returning uh, Majority Floor Leader will be Rob Vescovo. So had a good relationship with them in their previous times in the in the House and look forward to working with them as well as we look uh, as we look towards the next session because here it is. Um, it won't be long. We'll be talking about priorities going into session. We'll be coming out of our annual meeting and talking about uh, what are we looking for in the Missouri Capitol. I think we've got a great group. We've got some strong leadership. It'll be interesting to see um, 
with largely the same caucuses coming together. There's faces that have changed, but the numbers really haven't. Um, what priorities mm -hmm. will they take, especially with this will be the first year with Governor Parson in that leadership position. Um, so it'll be the first year with Governor Parson. So we'll see uh, what kind of priorities did they set? Mm -hmm. And is it a wide path? And we're trying to get a lot done, or is it really focused? And um, you know, we're we're pinpoint focused on yeah. on f facing a few well, issues. And do we know yet who are who the leaders on some of the key committees are going to be in the House and Senate? Yeah, that's a great question. We don't have we don't have committee assignments yet. Um, the both caucuses were meeting this this week, um, and committee assignments haven't come out yet. I actually listened to Shots today saying that he wouldn't expect that until next week or, or shortly mm -hmm. thereafter. He was measuring um, incoming new folks and, and where their priorities are. You know, we have some speculation of what those might be just because you know who's returning that were on those committees. Um, but other than that, it'd be kind of hard to say who will be. So we'll see that coming up soon, but we don't have those committee leaderships yet. Um, the other thing is there has been some speculation, especially on the House side, with a brand new speaker coming in, that we could see a, a reorganization of the committees. Oh, yeah. um, and so that's not uncommon to mm -hmm. look at different structuring because – with 163 members, there's a lot of committees. Members don't serve on a lot of committees, and so sometimes they restructure those to fit the um, to fit the strengths of their membership. Mm -hmm. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they do um, shift that, shake, shake that up a little bit. Okay. I think something that was really interesting, going back to the election just briefly, you know, you talked about how we maintained basically supermajorities in both chambers. And a lot of times, I know Eric and I have talked about this, when we talk about the power of the incumbency. And, and we really certainly saw that at the federal level, with the exception of one of our races in Missouri. But at the state level, you know, we, we maintained our, our margins. It's not like these were incumbents. I mean, a lot of these were really open seats. And right. so I think that tells you a lot about maybe the political climate of our state. And, and I know we're going to talk about clean Missouri as well, but how that all plays together with changes yeah, that could be coming and that's exactly right I, th I think that's a great point spencer and um well we should just go ahead and transition right into that in clean missouri and some of the uh, ballot issues that that came up on the ballot in november um we had mixed results there we had two out of the three medical marijuana ballot initiatives uh, defeated um which missouri farm bureau was opposed to all those initiatives so that was a positive as far as we were concerned that two of them lost but um, one of them did pass and will become law. And then um, the minimum wage increase, which our policy had opposed because we believe that we should be on an even playing field with the surrounding states, and this would actually put us at a disadvantage to surrounding states for competing for talent and jobs. Um, that, uh, that passed pretty handily, though. And then the other two that uh, we, w the two that we worked the hardest on over the past few months is um, supporting Proposition D, which was um, to provide funding for transportation, and opposing the Clean Missouri Plan that Spencer just mentioned. And the Clean Missouri Plan did pass, and the uh, Proposition D did fail. So. Uh, where are we now? What does that mean yeah. for the future? I think that's a great question. Um, you know, anybody that's listened to any of our content knows that they've heard a lot from us regarding those two issues. Obviously, we did have our medical marijuana positions and our minimum wage, but we spent a lot of effort talking about Proposition D and, and the Clean Missouri issue because of what we saw as the impact on rural Missouri. Um, you know, when we look at, let's talk about Proposition D first, um, just because it was, you know, one of my top issues. 
Um, we, we, our members have agreed that Missouri needs additional funding for transportation. Uh, we see our roads and bridges as a top priority. Um, we see that the, the state spends less on transportation than other states do. We have more miles in the system than other states do and thought that that was a, a fair way to fund it by a user fee um, through the fuel tax. Um, unfortunately, it did go down at the ballot box. I, um, I, will, I will just say that I think when it comes down to it, there was some confusion between the highway patrol and how the fuel tax funds the road fund now. I, I can understand that. But I think when it comes down to it, we were asking people to pay more for something than they currently do. And it was easier to check no than it was to check yes. Mm -hmm. And so I think I think we were up we were up against it there. The polling showed that we, that we would have we would have served better there. Um, but we all know how polling mm -hmm. shows in, in the Trump <laughs> era now that maybe it's not so um, it's not so scientific as we once thought it was. So um, it'll be interesting to see coming out of a loss for Prop D. Uh, what does the state do? Mm -hmm. Because I do think we truly believe that there was an issue there that the yeah. transportation does need additional funding, and just saying no on Prop D doesn't make that problem go away. Yeah. And so, what are people talking about? What are some of the potential solutions that the legislature is going to kick around, or that maybe the governor might support? Because mm -hmm. I know the governor was a leader on Prop D, but does he have other things he would rather do on his own that? Uh, that he can take the lead on? Yeah, so, you know, there's been speculation of what can you do. I had a, a, a newly elected official uh, reach out to me and say that he would support um, the top percentage of, of general revenue going to transportation funding. Although that sounds great, the state's facing a tight budget anyway. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do? Where does that come from? There's not a there's not a half a percentage to share right now. I, I've talked to state departments that know that they're probably facing cuts already, much less trying to fund transportation out of general revenue when we, mm -hmm. we currently fund it through the others. There have been talks about um, addressing some licensing fees and registration fees um, to try to come up with some of that shortfall. Um, but it'll be interesting with so many new representatives. I'll be honest with you, one of the reasons why I personally thought it was important to get it done in the last legislature and bring it to the vote now, which we did, which was unsuccessful, was because we had a lot of legislators who'd heard a lot about transportation mm -hmm. for many, many years. Mm -hmm. and, and they had a lot of years of education and understanding. And to have we have a whole lot of freshman legislators coming in, um, and I think it'll be a stretch to see them task the public with funding transportation. I hope that they will. We mm -hmm. still are in support of additional funding for transportation. The governor has been outspoken. He was outspoken on Proposition D, but he's been outspoken for infrastructure in general, as infrastructure and workforce development being his top priorities. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see where does he go with this? What do we do next? Um, like I said, I think those advocates are still going to be supportive mm -hmm. of transportation, um, but this is the second time in less than 10 years that the public has said, no, we're yeah. not willing to go there. Um, so it'll be, um, we might have to get more creative or, or MoDOT may have to get more creative as well. And yeah. that conversation becomes really difficult, not, not to tie totally back to federal, but you know, we are hearing that infrastructure could be a priority for the federal delegation in the coming year. Because that may year. be one of the only things that the two sides of the aisle can actually yeah, get together absolutely. on. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, of course, Sam Graves is hopefully going to be ranking member of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. That's a really key position for him to be in. But the state has got to have funds to match whatever federal grants are going to be coming yeah. down. And, and my understanding is 
Trump, President Trump and the administration and members of the House and the Senate want to do a massive infrastructure package. Mm-hmm. And we'd really like for Missouri to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah I think um, if the president maybe had made that as part of a couple of his stops. That's probably a good point. If, if we had have, if we had have seen the talk of transportation and infrastructure as a part of those, and I understand those were political stump speeches in order to elect one person, I totally get that. Um, but if we had have seen that from the stump a little bit, talking about infrastructure or the importance of or maybe that even being a priority um i'll be honest with you i i cringed every time i heard him use the word taxes in each one of his speeches because that was a lot of it um and i don't think that helped with the with the end result of prop d maybe we can put that in the suggestion box i'll be honest (laughs) sort of white house petition the truth is i i do think there were people efforting to to try to make that happen mm-hmm. because they do know the president truly does believe yeah, in infrastructure. He, he really is. does. He yeah. yeah. And, and um, when we were initially talking about this with the legislature, the, the federal plan was a part of the conversation is, Hey, oh, yeah. we need to, we need to invest in ours so that when the time comes, we can prove that we have mm-hmm. been because there's always been that if Trump passes a package, it's going to have to include more state funds in order to do so. Yeah. Um, and, and we tried to sell that to the people, but, um, we just weren't able to get it done. Yeah. Well, long way to go on that one. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be resolved anytime soon. Um, the other big one, of course, was the Clean Missouri Plan. And I think <laughs> we all have a lot of opinions about that and what it's going to mean. But there's a, not a lot of certainty. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've got yeah. a long way to go, both on um, the legal battles in front of us and then the actual political battles of how this shakes out. So what do you think is going to happen here? Well, in Clean Missouri, I think there will be um, there will be definite legal battles um, talking about uh, whether or not you should, if you were just working in the Capitol, if they can prevent you from going to work as a lobbyist or, or representing other folks. You know, if you weren't taking votes on issues, it's hard to sell to, to everyone that you really had a say in what passed and what failed just because you were a staff in the Missouri Capitol. Mm-hmm. Um and then also um, the voter representation thing from the, the minority voters of how do you draw 50-50 districts and still have safe minority districts. That That's another tough question to answer. So I think there will be some tough legal battles. Um, I think those are probably already conversations that are being had. Um, and then there will probably also be some efforts in the Capitol to look at, at, at what can we do for ethics reform to try to make sure that this works for the state of Missouri without completely disregarding the will of the vote. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an overwhelming vote in favor, but then again, we all knew something labeled as clean Missouri was going to be hard to come up against. I do think it serves a major, um, it is a problem for rural Missouri. We talked about it a lot, but I don't think it was incorrect that I do think in order to form competitive districts, you're going to have to reach into the more populated areas and to the less populated areas. And from Missouri Farm Bureau's point of view, that's probably going to lead to less rural representation in the Missouri capital um, and and a tougher job representing rural Missouri. Um, it doesn't mean we'll be just disregarded because we'll continue to fight, but you'll probably see less people with a rural background serving in the capital. We already are in a minority there, um, but this will even make it um, tougher. And I, I really, the more I've thought about this, it seems like um, you know, you're still going to have people running for these seats yeah. no matter how the uh, lines are drawn. But the biggest challenge, I think, is you're going to cut up your counties and your cities mm-hmm. and your communities of interest so much that the only people uh, – people aren't going to be as engaged mm-hmm. in the process. The normal people aren't going to be engaged in the process as much. You're probably going to have much more – 
political representatives yeah. because they're they're in it because they love politics and they don't care exactly where their lines are. They just want to be in the legislature. Right. Yeah. Whereas right now, if you have a, a district that's you know one or two counties, and there's somebody who's lived there forever and they really want to represent the, the people they care deeply about their community, want to represent their community. That's why they ran. Well, now they won't even have that opportunity anymore. And um, you know, I think that that's really disappointing. The, it's going to just make everything more political. Yeah. If the intent was to get politics out of this, it's going to have the opposite effect, I think. I think that's a great point. And we talked a little bit about the, uh, the, the disengagement of voters yeah. when they don't know who their representatives are. And when they have multiple, it disengages them even more. Um, and I think you'll see that more. I think it's going to be even tougher. Um, and I think when you said, yeah, there's still going to have people running for these positions, but I think it's always going to be easier to be running from those population centers. Sure. There's more business mm -hmm, there. There's more funding there. Yeah. It's easier to reach lots of voters in fast timing there. Mm -hmm. And so you're just going to see that gravitational pull towards there. And Unfortunately, it's, it's a full employment act for the uh, consultants. That's what I think this really <laughs> is. Because yeah. now instead of having what, 20, 30 competitive races, you're going to have 100 competitive races. And, you know, that's just going to be more ads and people who don't like mailers and don't like ads and don't like calls. Fasten well, your seatbelts yeah, because, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's coming. coming. Yeah, because you don't know who they are. Yeah. And so it becomes even tougher to run. You don't even know who you're going to be, who's going to be on your ballot. Which one? Um, and, and the other thing I think is when you look at urban-rural divide, we talk about that a little bit and some people, you know, get tired of hearing it. But it, you can look at these ballot issues, you can look at the party line votes, and you can see a pretty clear divide. Um, and and it's, just, it's just true when you look at these things. Um, and when you look at turnout and, and results, like let's just say the Missouri Senate, some of those races were overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking 70-point wins, um, 70 percentage you know, in the favor side. If they're that safe, if we were to try to draw these into 50-50 districts, I don't know that the parties pushing for this ballot initiative get what they wanted. Mm -hmm. I just think we'd see a total change in the makeup. Because sure. I, th I could see from a political standpoint, if I've got 70% of the vote, that's pretty clear. I could give up 20%. Mm -hmm. I'd still win that one, and I probably have a better chance of winning the district next to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think these, these districts would be very difficult to draw. I think they'd be very difficult to represent. It'll be really, really um, something to watch to see what did the courts say about it and how does this really play out um, as we look towards four years from now yeah. and when the actual timing would happen. And, the, and I've talked about this ad nauseum behind the scenes, but I cannot, I still can't figure out what the goal is. Is it to get all the districts to be 50-50 or is it to get all the districts, each, each district to match the statewide overall leaning? Or is the goal to get the end result legislative makeup, you know, the balance of power in the legislature to match the overall state's general leaning mm -hmm. or what? And all of those are, are mutually exclusive of one another. You can't have 50-50 districts um, when you only have 30% voters from one party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but can you, how do you pick which districts you're going to try to make solid Democrat districts to try to get that? balance of power right in the in the legislature and if you make every district say 58 percent republican and 42 percent democrat you're not going to have hardly any democrats mm -hmm. 
So what what's really what's the actual goal here? And know, I think I, it, when the nuts and bolts get down to it, I think one thing this election proved, and we've all three talked about this behind the scene, is clean Missouri is based on the idea that everybody votes a party line ticket. That they yeah. only vote and the for same issues one every year. that everyone votes the same way every single time they go to the ballot box. And I think you can look at the results of this election and see that that is not true. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great point. They there's there's the no way on the same ballot. There's no ideology um, if you follow this ballot, um, yeah. and you get down to minimum wage mm-hmm. and clean Missouri and medical marijuana. There's just not a lot of consistency there. Well, it doesn't exactly match. Right. Yeah. No. And no. I mean, Holly and McCaskill had about a 51 to 46 percent split, give or take a few percentage points. A lot of these state Senate races, like BJ just said, were 70 percent to 30 percent. Mm-hmm. Not everybody who voted for Josh Holly, for example, voted for a Republican state senator. And not everybody who voted for Claire McCaskill voted for a Democratic state senator. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can just look at those sure. two and well, see the comparison. And compare the two statewide races that were on this ballot between the, the Senate and the mm-hmm. auditor's race. Good point. Uh, Holly won the Senate race by six points and, and Galloway won the auditor's race by, what, six, eight points, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So just those two people blatantly, clearly split their ballots. Mm-hmm. And why is it now enshrined into uh, the, the uh, Constitution of, of the state that you pick, what, the presidential race, the, the last presidential race, the last governor's race, and the last senator's race to decide what our partisan leaning is? Are the people that wrote that up now wishing they would have picked the auditor's race instead <laughs> you know, as one of the three data points they're using? Because same day, um, they had a what, like a 15-point swing mm-hmm. between the, which which line of the ballot you chose mm-hmm. to use as your data point. And I don't know that that means it's reflective of the state or not. Yeah, yeah and I think that shows that the, the, the real purpose behind it was – any change is better than what we see in the current policy. Yeah. And they they don't agree with the current process of what's a nonpartisan group comes in and draws it, and if nobody could agree to it, then a panel of judges gets to draw the districts. They wanted to see a change yeah. and hope that any change would really benefit yeah. their leanings. We're getting our butts kicked the way it is, so <laughs> let's try something else. Yeah. I mean, if you're already down, what did you say the, the majorities are in the Senate? 24-10, yeah. Yeah, so more than two to one. Yeah. Uh, by quite a bit, really more than two to one. Yeah, what's what do you have to lose? Try something different. If we're down twenty six to eight, well, yeah. Whatever. And I but think we gave it a shot, right? you know. And that's a great point because we voted for Clean Missouri that said that the um, said that the state auditor would have a pretty good hand in the redistricting process, but overwhelmingly voted for a Republican senator, but left a Democrat in charge of the redistricting process. So it just shows you right there. We're all over the place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Th- as far as as far as party line breakdowns, uh, there's not a lot of consistency. No. Yeah. There's which, almost no consistency. Yeah, Let's just call it like it is. Absolutely. And that's okay. That's great. I get it. Uh, you know, vote for the candidates. I don't, I'm not against that in any way, but I do think it's interesting to see, okay, now we're going to take a process and try to say political parties are all that matter when we're drawing these districts. Yeah, Missouri's always been considered a bellwether, and I know we've been sort of trending away from that in mm-hmm. the past few years, but this still shows there's a lot of um, people who will look at the candidate, and, and you know, politics still matters on the local level. Uh, you have to have a good candidate to, to be able to win these things, no matter what party they're in. Yeah, I thought your uh, your Facebook piece on, on lo- politics being local was one of the better things I saw. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't talk about yeah. that. Yeah. That, you know, do you want to summarize that? That was a really interesting. No, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, coming from the Boot Hill, having grown up in the in the region, I think it's interesting to see. You pointed out that um, the, the areas where Josh outperformed his 2016 numbers were largely focused in the Boot Hill. Yeah, we the know- top five counties out of 114. 
2016, yeah. all were in the boot heel. And in most of in most of the state, he underperformed 2016. Not that he didn't still win, but his margin was less. <laughs> but in the boot heel counties and a few outliers, he far outperformed himself. Um, all politics being local, we know Josh spent a couple of events down there he in the did. boot hill. The president was in the boot hill a couple of times. There was also an unfortunate comment that made news um, from Senator McCaskill, right. and I think that that played a large hand in that. Um, and not People that he didn't take yeah you know, they they didn't take that lightly. Yeah. they don't like being insulted. And yeah. I think that all of rural Missouri felt that, but not as much as those who actually were from that region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and, and there's yeah. such a strong regional identity down there, especially mm-hmm. if you're going to pick one region of the state to insult don't make it the boot heel right yeah, exactly unfortunate comment that's a very nice yes. and diplomatic way to describe no, it always diplomatic, one it? one thing we didn't mention that we probably you know certainly need to mention is you know senator-elect holly has now been elected which does create a vacancy in the missouri attorney yep. general's Robert. office mm-hmm. and we were really thrilled to see eric schmidt appointed by the governor eric yep. is currently the missouri state treasurer uh, which now creates a vacancy in the treasurer's office yes. so uh, to be determined on who will fill that role Let but the speculation begin let the spe- <laughs> yes absolutely right but it was already beginning before he was appointed so. yeah. <laughs> eric pointed out which is kind of an interesting tidbit of trivia by the way if you want to play trivia come to oh, missouri farm good. bureau annual nice meeting um so eric pointed out that almost all of the statewide elected officials in missouri are now appointed yeah or they were not elected to the position they currently serve in yeah actually five out of the six statewide um uh, statewide officials in missouri are in that situation. And now, Nicole Galloway has been elected to her auditor's position for a full term, but, but that she's not won't start until January. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, really until now, or until then, really five out of the six have either um, risen up because of a resignation or were appointed to their position, and that is just bizarre. Except for Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. Yeah, he's, he's the only he's one. Sticking and strong. Yeah. There you go. No, it is, a, it is an interesting world, you know, and, and Missouri politics have been a little bit more turbulent place than we would we would hope. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, and one I, of those diplomatic comments. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I do think that this will play itself out. Um, we all hope that things are a lot smoother in the next two-year cycle than they have been leading into this um, and that we can see some more stability. Yeah. This is unfortunate. Is an interesting position mm-hmm. for the governor to be in that he has had the ability to appoint oh, several positions, mm-hmm. uh, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and now treasurer. Um, and who knows, if, if we keep appointing people, we'll have more elections and have more to talk about, and it'll continue oh, so to be. So much excitement. Yeah. I, yeah, we prefer to keep the craziness at our borders, like yeah. Kansas politics and Illinois politics. And yeah. Let's not even get into, oh, my gosh, and, Kansas. Oh, my oh gosh. man. Yeah, they've got a mess Whew. over there. And then right. 2020 with Iowa yeah. being the center of attention for the country. So hopefully we can fly under the radar for a couple of years here. Yes, yeah, so we can all hope. Well, appreciate both of you joining us. And um, we'll uh, keep an eye on what, what develops here and look forward to talking to you both soon. Yeah, all thank right. you for all you did during the election. And it was, a, it was a team effort. We did all we could on all these efforts overwhelmingly were successful on a lot of the races yeah. that we were involved in. Mm-hmm. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about a couple of the ones that we weren't, um, but we were ex- ecstatic with what happened at the federal level and what's happened in the state capitol. Um, I think we're all looking forward to great successes yeah. in 2019 and yep. 2020. Overall, 84% success rate. Yeah. That's great. That. Absolutely. Can't, we cannot jump ahead, though. There's a lot of things we need to get done at the federal level before the end of the year, so stay <laughs> you tuned. Go. You're going to have a full Wishful plate. thinking. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate <laughs> it. Bye. Thanks again for joining us. As Spencer mentioned, if you would like to play trivia with us at our annual meeting, go to our website and sign your team up. There's plenty of time to do so before annual meeting. We look forward to seeing you there. We will talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you.